Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but he finally, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she will, won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And altogether. <laughs> and will not God bring uh, justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The good, the good news of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you, Roland. <laughs> All right. Uh, before I introduce Mark, I just wanted us to take a moment and think about this thought. And I'm going to say, China. <laughs> My question to you is, what comes to mind? when I say the word China. Just, and, oh, sorry, don't, don't, don't say out loud. <laughs> I should have said that. Don't say anything out loud. <laughs> but take a few seconds just to think about what comes to mind for you. And the second thing is, a question I want you to ask God, we're going to take a minute of silence, but God, what are you doing in the midst of all these things that I've just thought about? What are you doing in China? So let's take a minute and ask God that question. Thank you. So I know China's in the news a lot, um, and often what comes to mind has nothing to do with God. <laughs> Lots of concerns. So it is my pleasure today to introduce Mark. Now, some of you might know this, but some of you might not. I actually met Mark when I was 12 years old, um, when his brother married my sister. <laughs> So we're kind of related, but not really. <laughs> That's the first time I came across Mark, but we didn't cross paths very often. Mark and his family moved to Edmonton and lived there for a number of years, which is the second connection and that he planted um, all three vineyard churches in the Edmonton area. So he was there for pastored for 25 years. Um, some of that in Edmonton, some of that in North Langley. And that was my second connection with him, being part of the vineyard myself. I'd run into him sometimes at conferences or leadership meetings. And that was kind of cool to have someone you're kind of related to be at this thing you're also at that you're connected to. So that was really cool. Um, and then two years ago, 
I guess just over two years ago, the executive director at International China Concern, where I've worked for now 18 years, uh, stepped down and there was a vacancy there. And little did I know, but Mark applied and got the job. So I'm, I've gone from knowing this man since I was just a little kid and hardly seeing him just every now and then to now getting to work with him every day, <laughs> which has been really, really cool. So that's my connection to Mark. And um, I should also say that Mark also, after he pastored, uh, worked for International Justice Mission for about 12 years uh, as their church mobilization director. Yes. <laughs> so also very familiar with the whole nonprofit world. So before he comes up um, to speak, I just wanted to show a video and then Mark, you can come on up. When she came into our care, this little girl was sick, undernourished, unresponsive. Her desperate mother explained that she couldn't adequately care for the two-year-old, but in a touching letter mentioned that the little girl's name was Lala. Lala means joy. Our caring staff nursed Lala back to health, providing physical therapy, nutrition, and love. Slowly, Lola learned to walk. She was able to eat solid food. And at age three, we heard Lola's first words. It took time, perseverance, and the dedication and love of many people. But Lola went from a place of desperate need to a place of flourishing. By the time she was four, Lola could walk on her own, feed herself, and she made a lifelong friend in a little boy named Weiwei. Today, age seven, Lola is active, caring, and outspoken. Oh, that's your, your book bag. From barely surviving, to sharing her love, from being cast away to lifted up. This is God's heart for every child. His love is exhibited through the lives of the people who surround these children and made evident by the gifts of love from people who share his heart for the least of these. Give her a big, big kiss, and uh, yeah, very good. Um, what, what a story of transformation, of love being worked out and exhibited in the life of, of one girl. And, and there are so many stories like Lala's that I, I could share, but uh, this Sunday and you know, in churches that are connected to ICC, we're, we're doing this thing called Giving Sunday and just letting churches that support ICC know what their support and what their 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 love actually is doing in transforming the lives of individuals like Lala and and VEV has been one of those churches you have walked with us I don't know how many years but it's been years of, of faithfully supporting praying for 
um, our, our staff and also for the work that we do in China. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for that kind of dedicated support and ongoing care. And, you know, you look at the life in, and see where Lala came from and where she is now. And it, I, that's a miracle to me, like literally from death to, to life. Talk about transformation and, and redemption. That, that's the story that we see exhibited in the life of, of this uh, little girl. And I believe there's more to come. Uh, God's not finished. Uh, when I was thinking about China, there's still a purpose. You can't believe that a nation with over a billion people somehow is outside of God's pur purpose to bring redemption to, to this world. He, he's got a plan. We just don't know what it is right now. And it seems kind of, you know, halted or it might be uh, difficult, but, but there's a plan and a purpose for that, for that nation. And, and for ICC as well. I'm going to let you in in a little secret. We're going to be sharing this with our ICC supporters and friends over the next couple of months. But uh, at the end of last year, in, in December of last year, we were approached by the uh, by a government official from Beijing um, telling us that we were going to be receiving an additional 51 children uh, probably in the next couple of months now. So by, by April, another 51 children are going to be coming into ICC's care. And, and that's just because of the results of what we see happen with people like like Lala. They, they are recognizing that there is something special about the way that ICC cares for children with disabilities. And 51 new children are going to be coming uh, into our community, into our family-style homes over the next couple of months. So you can imagine 51 children all at the same time, or maybe, I think there's two groups coming. I think there's a group of about 20 and then the rest are coming. It's gonna be a full-time um, job just to assimilate them, but, uh, but just pray for us. Also this year, 2023, um, is ICC's 30th anniversary. So it's kind of a, a big deal for us as an organization. 30 years ago, David Gotts, our founder, started ICC in China. And uh, last year, we actually gathered all of the national office directors here in Vancouver, and we had a time just to get together, and we were, we were thinking, like, how do you describe 30 years? Like, what is it that we want to say about 30 years of, of ministry of the kingdom of God being in China? And as we discerned and discussed, this is what we came up with. From a single act of compassion, a movement has grown a movement that is transforming the lives of children and young adults with disabilities in China. Like it started with one act of compassion when David Gotts cared for that one child that had been abandoned, had been left to basically die and to care for them. And just to say, God has a plan for you. God loves you. You are worthy. Your life counts. From that, a movement that is impacting now a country has grown. And so one of the things that, that I think has marked the 30 years and this growing movement are two things, mercy and justice. Mercy that, that goes and says, how can we help? How can we do something practical to assist those who, who are in distress, those who have been abandoned? And then justice. How do we go about making what our, our Father in heaven, who's a God of justice, says is not right and needs to be changed to bring that wholesale redemption 
the rewriting and the restructuring and the reshaping of, of, of this world so that those who are vulnerable are actually uh, given the kind of care and love that they deserve. So this passage in Luke 18 that was read talks about justice. It, it talks about the persistent widow who, who just would not give up, who is going to the, the judge and just asking for justice to be done and finally the judge relents. So I want us to, to look at this. And Jesus very deliberately, I think, uses the widow here to, to tell the story. She's the hero of the story. Uh, that's significant because um, in the culture of that time, uh, a widow was certainly someone who was not seen as having much power at all, did, did not have much, much, much agency at all within that culture. In fact, um, the widow would be a part of what scholars call the quartet of the vulnerable, the foreigner, um, the refugee. Uh, the widow, the orphan, and then this, this group called simply the poor or the needy. These are the ones who had no power within that, that culture. And they were the ones who were most vulnerable to being harassed, abused, taken advantage of by those who had power. So Jesus uses this widow who had no house, husband and as a result, no standing within the culture as the one who then goes to seek justice. Now, we're not told what her situation is, why she was asking for justice. All we know is that she had an adversary, someone more powerful than her, who was taking advantage of her. And, and at ICC, the group of people that we're obviously most familiar with are, are this group called the orphan. And so I think it's legitimate to actually, if you wanted to change the word widow for orphan within this text, you could probably do that because it's the same group of people, the vulnerable, who, who are the ones who are, who are pleading or asking for justice. And one of the realities that, that we deal with in working with children with disabilities, besides the social stigma that, that they deal with because they have a disability, is the fact that, that many of the systems within the country are simply broken and don't work to protect the most vulnerable. Now, Every country has its problems. Canada has its problems. We're not perfect. But within China, it was profoundly obvious that people with disabilities were simply warehoused. Children with disabilities were warehoused until they died. There was no value placed upon their lives. And, and there was a system that actually supported that belief. And, and in some ways, it still exists today. I'll just give you just a brief example of how, we, how we've seen that. Um, in late 2019, the government decided that, that the children that had grown up in ICC's care, who are now young adults, needed to be moved to an adult um, institution, which is legitimate. And, and so they, they said, we're going to move these children uh, who are now grown up into this other facility. And it's more of an institutional kind of setting. It's not like the family style setting that, that we have at ICC. But what they also said was, and, and you can't have any contact with them. We're gonna, we're gonna cut off contact. You can't, you can't do anything. You can't visit them. You can't still see them and engage with them. And so you can imagine the trauma that, that, that was experienced by these young adults who are now moved to a different place, but without the care and the love of the people that they had basically grown up with. Well, we knew this wasn't good. We knew this wasn't right. And so 
there, there were three people from our, our amazing team uh, in China who said, we're gonna go and visit this government center uh, at least once a week. And we are going to go and say, we would love to be able to give gifts. We'd love to give reminders, some way to communicate to the, to the young adults that are now in your care that they're not forgotten. And, and we'd love to be able to do that. So they bring gifts, they bring uh, reminders uh, of, of things that they had, they had experienced in our, in our own uh, ICC centers to, these, to this welfare center and just left them with the staff there. And they kept going back week after week with these gifts. Finally, they said, well, would it be okay if we, we could just come in and, and just do an activity like our craft and we'll do it for everybody. Like all the young adults that are here, we'd come in and we'll do a craft, we'll do something that, that everybody can benefit from. And, and eventually they said, okay, you can come in and, and, and do a craft for, for one afternoon. And so they were able to come and do that. And then in 2020, obviously COVID hit, everything got locked down, everything was shut down and we were no longer given access to this, to this group of children or young adults. Now, after the restrictions of, of COVID were lifted, um, we went back again, these same three dedicated people, they went back again and said, okay, COVID's gone, can we come back in? And they were said, no, the, 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 it's locked down. We're not gonna allow anybody else to come in. And we just were, were concerned for, for the, the young adults who were probably just, just so alone and just, just disoriented in this whole process. But then we got a call from that government center saying that one of the young adults in their center from ICC was having a difficult time emotionally. And, and would it be okay if somebody from ICC could come and just talk with them and meet with them and just help them work through some of the, 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 the intense emotional stuff that they were dealing with? And, and we said, gladly. And so again, we went and we were able to meet with this, this young person, we're able to help alleviate the problem that they were having. But the reality is, is still there is there is still limited access and all we want to do is just go and say we know that you're there we've not forgotten you to those children who are now young adults who have grown up but but i want you to to meet this this group of of people now they don't look very intimidating but they they are relentless this is some of our staff from one of our centers in 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 china they are relentless. They are the ones who kept going to the center saying, we're here, we wanna help. Is there something that we can do? And Jesus, in wanting his disciples to understand what it was that was gonna bring about his kingdom here in this word, actually raised a question that I think is really good for us to consider. And that is, how much faith will the son of man find on the earth? How much faith will there actually be? When you encounter resistance and obstacles and when injustice seems to be winning the day, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna pack up your bags at home? Say, it's just too hard, it's just too difficult. Or like this widow, are you going to be persistent in your asking for justice? You see, this is really important in our culture today to be relentless. Because so much of what we experience and value is, is that sort of rather quick gratification that comes when 
you can just Google something on your phone if you have a question and you get the answer. You ask Siri or Alexa, you know, what the weather's gonna be like, what's happening in the world? Where can I go for lunch? The answer is literally there within two or three seconds. This, this sort of persistence that's required when you, when you don't get the answers or the solutions that you want right away, we, we, just, we just kind of pull back from that. It's like, well, okay, if I don't get it, then you know, no sense of trying any further. Jesus says the kingdom of God only advances, the justice of God only comes to those, that quartet of the vulnerable if we are relentless in the pursuit of justice. So I wanna to touch on three things quickly that I think are gonna help us strengthen ourselves so that we can be relentless in the things that Jesus calls us to do in this earth. And so I think the first thing that we, we need to just acknowledge is that we need to be prepared for the fact that resistance and apathy are gonna exist. It's really interesting how Jesus describes this judge in the story as a, as a judge who cared nothing about God or about people. How do you get appointed or elected to be a judge if you don't care about sort of right and wrong or you just don't like people? You just, people are a nuisance. But this was the unjust judge that this woman had to go to to get justice. But, but it describes so well what those who have little power in the world today have to experience on a regular, ongoing basis. When it comes, for example, the care, the medical care of children at ICC, we know that children with disabilities are way down on the priority list of those who, who, who offer it. So for example, with the recent outbreak of COVID that we all heard about, children or people with disabilities were denied vaccines because they were given to those who would be able to be more productive. So children or adults with, with disabilities were denied vaccines. When it comes to life-saving medical uh, treatment that our children need, oftentimes it's, well, we've got other people more deserving or more necessary or who need it more or who, who we don't want to uh, use our, our resources to, to help people who, who may not be around for very much longer. And we have, to, we have to fight that apathy, that resistance that is built in to, to a society and the culture. I want to tell you a story about a little girl named Harmony. Uh, Harmony has Down syndrome and she was abandoned in 2017 and came to live uh, with ICC shortly afterwards. And uh, our trained nurses Already we were able to identify that, that Harmony was having difficulty breathing and also swallowing and eating. And they knew that there was a, a, a very um, simple but yet um, important uh, procedural, uh, medical procedure that needed to be done, a surgery that would really help uh, Harmony with her breathing and her ability to eat and swallow. But the, but the local hospital around us didn't perform that surgery. Uh, Harmony would have to go to Shanghai to have the procedure done. And the local government authority says, well, I, that's too costly, it's inconvenient, we can't do it. But again, our staff adv advocated for Harmony and said, no, she deserves the right to have this surgery so that she doesn't have restriction in her breathing and she can eat. And they finally relented and said, okay, you can go to Shanghai and have the procedure. So Harmony goes to, to, to Shanghai along with some of our staff. She has this, the procedure and then 
is placed on a ventilator while she heals and placed in ICU. But then in ICU, uh, the, again, uh, the authorities come to our staff and say, well, if she doesn't get off the ventilator within a, a day, uh, we're going to have to remove her because there's other people who need the, the ventilator and, and we want to move the ventilator onto her. And they just said, no, you can't. You can't take her off of the life-saving ventilator while she is healing and, and, and just simply discard her as somebody that doesn't deserve this kind of medical treatment. And so we, we had to pray because we could see that this, this resistance was continuing. And so we, we shared this with our international prayer community and asked people to be praying for harmony. And lo and behold, one of our prayer partners, a family in the U.S. who had already adopted um, a child with Down syndrome from ICC, um, heard about this and they said, you know what, we want to adopt harmony. We, we actually want to bring her to the U.S. and adopt her. And again, the government said, no, no, we're not going to adopt, have any adoptions coming out of China. There's, you know, policies and things that they said, no, this, it doesn't work. And even though her medical care and everything else would be covered by this family, they just decided this was not something that was possible to do. Again, we kept advocating and asking and going to different government uh, officials and Kyla, who works in, in uh, and she was the, 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 the uh, person with the little girl uh, that was there that, she just kept advocating for harmony and just kept going, no, she deserves this. And finally, uh, the adoption was granted and um, Harmony was able to go uh, to her family in the US. Now, I'll show you a picture of Harmony. This is when she was in the hospital in Shanghai. You can see she's on the ventilator. Um, we don't have uh, any current pictures, part of it because now she's adopted by this family in the US. And, but we do get updates and Harmony is doing well. She's thriving, she's flourishing with, with her family in the, in the US. But again, this is a life, a precious life that required people of persistence and relentless faith to advocate on her behalf. And that's, and that's really the point that Jesus was making in telling the story. Why did the judge finally grant this woman justice? Was it because he thought the merits of her case deserved justice? No. It was because she kept bothering him and he wanted her to go away. And sometimes that is what is required of us simply to see justice come. But if, if the widow or if Kyla and the team in, in, in China would have said, well, they said no, so we have to kind of just go with that because that's what they said. Harmony would probably not have the life that she has right now. So this story Jesus is telling his followers is, is simply one that if you want this kingdom that, that Jesus was initiating to come on this earth, if you want this kingdom of justice to begin to change the brokenness in this world, be prepared for resistance and for apathy. It's not going to be an easy, quick fix. We're not going to be able to do this in a moment, in the day or a week. This is going to require a long, persistent approach. Well, the second thing that we see here, if we want to develop this relentless faith, is this. Which we have to actually believe that God's kingdom will prevail. This is what Jesus says in verse 6. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out for him day and night? 
The answer should be yes. God will bring about justice, but, but in the face of opposition and resistance, do we actually believe that and keep working towards it and relentlessly pursue that which is right and just? Jesus makes it very clear here that those who are relentless, God will bring justice for those people. Well, February is Black History Month. And I think most of us know who Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is, the pastor and civil rights leader in the United States. But I just wonder, how many of you have actually seen the movie Selma? Have you seen the movie Selma? Okay, good. So you know a little bit about the story I'm gonna tell you. So, so Dr. King uh, and others began to advocate for the right for African-Americans to vote. And to do that, they marched from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, which was the state capital, capital to actually ask the government there to give the right to African-Americans to vote. And this march took place on March 7th, 1965. So within my lifetime, so not that long ago. And Dr. King and 600 people set out to march to Montgomery, Alabama, but to do that, they had to cross this bridge. This bridge was called the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And so they started to walk across this bridge, but when they got to the end of the bridge, they met a, a line of resistance. There were police officers with billy clubs and police dogs, <coughs> excuse me, and tear gas that met these marchers and basically violently assaulted them. They stopped them. They beat them. They said, you're not marching to Montgomery. And basically what they were saying is, and don't, don't even think that you're gonna be able to do this tomorrow or the next day or the day after. Your march stops here, 2000 meters from where it began. You're not getting to Montgomery. It was a, it was a, it was a brutal day. People were beaten. People were, were so discouraged because these people who are supposed to enforce law, protect people, are now abusing and resisting. Well, two days later, Dr. King and others once again crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And there was another line of police officers that were there. But instead of trying to push through that line, they, they actually got to that line and they, they fell to their knees and they began to pray. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> now, some people were upset with Dr. King that he didn't try to push through that line. But he said, no, this, this is not how this is going to be won. This is not how we're gonna see justice come. And so they prayed and then they returned and went back across the bridge. But again, something amazing happened. Over the next, of next, the next two weeks, images of that violent confrontation, this one right here, were broadcast all across news outlets, newspapers. And what started to happen was that people began to march in all kinds of places and cities across the United States. And they did this in, in, in solidarity with the marchers in Selma. And they began to say, something needs to change. This is not right. And then about two and a half weeks later, on March 23rd, there were now 3,200 marchers who set off from Selma again to, mar to march to Montgomery. But this time they did so under the protection of federal troops who were brought in to ensure they got past the end of that bridge. For two days, 
They marched to, to Montgomery. They slept out in fields and in parks and people came out and brought food to them and fed them as they marched. And by the end of that, that two day march, there were 25,000 people who had gathered in Montgomery, Alabama to hear Dr. King speak and ask for the government to give the right to vote to African-Americans. And on August 6, 1965, President Johnson then signs the Voting Rights Act that gave African-Americans the right to vote. You see, Dr. King and those marchers believed that the kingdom of God and the equal treatment of all people would prevail even in the face of violence. In fact, Dr. King said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. They believed that the kingdom of God, this kingdom of justice and righteousness would prevail. Jesus says, do we have that kind of faith? The final connection that Jesus makes is that being relentless in the pursuit of justice is actually being uh, linked to being relentless in prayer. He actually told this story of the persistent widow to teach his disciples about praying and not giving up or not losing heart. You see, seeking justice doesn't only require courageous action, but it requires us to be relentless on our knees, crying out to God for help. I've shared stories about what ICC does as we advocate on behalf of children with disabilities, but what you may not know is, is how committed we also are to prayer as part of the daily rhythm of how we do life. We have a daily prayer calendar that lists the names of the children and our staff in China so that people can pray for them. Just uh, in January, we instituted a new rhythm at our ICC Canada office, and, and Gordy actually came and and we had a retreat at the end of last year, and Gordy came and shared with us about the importance of stillness. And we've incorporated now, at the beginning of our day, 15 minutes of stillness every day into our office so that we start our day understanding that we are dependent on God, that we are looking to Him to actually do this work that we are doing in China. We are, we are committed to praying. And we do devotionals, we have opportunities where we can pray on a regular basis, if a crisis comes up, we'll even stop our work and we'll, we'll gather together and pray. And it's not so much out of a, 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 an, an attitude of discipline, but really out of desperation that we do this. Because we know we could never accomplish this if God did not move what he can move. And sometimes we pray for a long time to see miracles happen but we've learned to be relentless in prayer and the fight for justice. So when we face obstacles and challenges in the pursuit of the kingdom of God, Jesus says to us today, don't lose heart. Keep praying, keep asking, and the God of justice will hear and he will answer your prayers. So I wanna encourage this community here at VV that what, whatever you are facing, what are the obstacles and challenges that you keep coming up against? Or the things that, that you're, you're believing God is going to change, where justice is going to come. And I know of your, your connection to, to some of the, the Indigenous First Nations communities and, and seeing true truth and reconciliation happen. But it seems sometimes so hard and long and difficult and there's opposition and misunderstanding. And yet, this is what we are called to, to be relentless and not give up, even when 
it looks very challenging. So I want to encourage you to continue to cry out to God. He hears your cry. He hears that you long for justice to come, either for yourself or for those who are vulnerable. Maybe you've heard this a little bit of a nudge again towards the, the work that we're doing in ICC. And you can, you can visit the table at the back and talk to Karen and myself afterwards. I'd love to chat with you. Maybe you want to be a, a sponsor for one of these 51 new children that are going to be coming in. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's how I want to align myself and be an ally in, in this fight for justice with these, these kids with disabilities in China. You can, you can talk to us. I know you also are very involved in Walk the Wall, and this year in September, I think it's the 23rd, again, another Walk the Wall event is, is happening for ICC. And if you want to gather some of your friends and invite them to come and support you in the walk, great. That's a great way to engage as well. But I want, I want to encourage you to continue to pursue this thing that we, we hear Jesus talking here, being relentless in a faith that sees injustice righted. I began by sharing this statement with you. A single act of compassion has resulted in a movement of growth. You know what I love about that image? Is that that single act, it, it's kind of like what we see happening in the ecosystem around us. In that, what, what builds a river? Well, it's single drops of rain. It's a single melting snowdrop that, that, that turns into a stream and then flows into a river and a river that flows into the ocean. I think this is what, what we see when, when Amos was describing justice as a mighty flowing river. A river that can't be stopped. It comes from individual drops of water that form together, that come together into a stream and then a river and then become unstoppable. So every step, every drop, every act of compassion, every act of mercy builds this river of justice. So may God bless you as you continue to pursue and believe that this justice is here now in this world, in a country like China and in a country like Canada. Amen.